Hi, welcome to the ESI What's Next podcast. I'm your host, Alex Feldman, and I'm taking you on a journey to learn about the exciting student entrepreneurs coming out of the ESI program. In the first part of our mini-series, Ensuring Sustainability, we're sitting down with Stina Junge, global head of the SDG Accelerator at the UNDP to learn about what it actually takes to have your startup be sustainable. It can often be difficult to understand all the consequences of a company's actions. It is necessary to effectively measure the right metrics. How do companies create the best practices to do this? Hi, Stina. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, before we get started, can you let the audience know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Stina, and, and thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast series. Um, I'm working for the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, but more specifically in the UNDP's Nordic Representation Office. It sits in the UN city in Copenhagen together with 11 other UN agencies, actually 10 other UN agencies. And I work with uh, what we call new development actors, such as the private sector, but it's also covering institutional investors, such as pension funds and insurance companies and industry associations, venture capital, and, and stuff like that. And uh, prior to joining the UNDP, I worked approximately 10 years at the Danish Broadcasting Corporation. I worked uh, at something called the Digital Newsroom, which is uh, an editorial uh, radio broadcast on um, future science and technologies. And so I, I do have a a certain passion for technologies and future technologies and science. Um, and of course, also development, because that's what I work with today at the United Nations Development Program. And that interest came, I guess, from my mom and from growing up in Kenya. Okay. My mom is a development expert and we lived in Kenya when I was kiddo. So uh, I've always had an interest for, you know, making the world a better place to put it short. Can I, can I ask you just one one quick, I think one quick question on that, because um, not quite our focus, but, but I'm really curious, let's say, what is one thing that you would want, uh, two th actually, two questions that are kind of related. What is one thing that you'd want people to know uh, from your time in Kenya? And what is kind of the, let's say, the biggest lesson that you learned during your experience there? I was very young when I lived there, and then I came back later on. Uh, as a young woman being just graduating from high school and I spent like half a year a little bit more working for a Danish NGO as a volunteer and then I volunteered for UNICEF and I I went to the field and did interviews with traditional birth attendancies with a, an interpreter uh, this was before starting university and at that time I thought I'd never study at university so I just went out there. And what I learned was that I would definitely, if I work with development anytime in the future, I would definitely uh, educate myself prior to doing that because it was, uh, it was a bit of a mouthful that I took on, uh, but it was also uh, what brought me to where I am today. Okay. Yeah. So, so education maybe, yeah. And uh, 
that it actually matters to work <laughs> with development. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It sounds like you had a bit of a, let's say a humbling experience going out there and, and kind of seeing that like, oh, I, I, I might not know, let's say as much as I, I think I do. Um, and I, I need to um, yeah. grow or, or, or expand. Yeah, you know, it's about if you interview traditional birth attendancies uh, and you want to do that, have an approach, which is uh, kind of uh, scientifically value, you know, or solid, then you need some teaching huh? mm -hmm. and not just make it up from the ground. But I, I was kind of also, you know, coming out of a family with a lot of, of um, you know, knowledge about methodologies and fieldwork in developing countries. So I did have, have something with me, but I really realized that I had to, to be educated in order to go out and, and work with development. But then, as you heard, I actually worked with the broadcasting for quite a significant period of time. And that was also a result of wanting to you know, create my own image and identity, you know, and not just walking in the footsteps of my mom, who was a mm. development expert. Uh, so, so uh, I have had like my my own kind of years where I learned how to work in in media and communication and and national broadcast. So, so then, but I just couldn't escape that <laughs> you know, urge of wanting to do make the world better. So can also add to all of this that my husband is a serial entrepreneur and uh, my interest in working with the private sector and working with companies and anchoring the SDGs in, in uh, the core of businesses uh, and making them de deliver significant impact on sustainability might also be kind of inspired from, from uh, seeing on close hand what what entrep how entrepreneurs work and and what they can actually bring to the world. Interesting. I, I want to let's say hold on to that that thought, but table it for kind of later in our conversation because I, I think that that's really interesting for kind of like let's say the last part. Um, but maybe let's say backing up and, and almost starting at the beginning to give, give context. I, I'm really kind of curious. Let's say coming with, with your role from 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 the UN and UNDP. What is it that sort of, let's say, maybe when and, and why did the UN decide that sort of, you know, um, a sustainability agenda was really, really important for them to be the, um, let's say, stewards, the ones to creating benchmarks um, that they, they kind of had to, to champion, um, at least, let's say, as far as my knowledge, that goes back at least to the, the Millennial Development Goals, which is what, uh, 2000. I, I'm not sure if it even went farther back than that. Uh, you, you probably would be more of an expert on that than I would. Um, but at least they, they did to you 2000 you can tell me if it, it's even older than that um but but why did they decide that this is this is one of the things that we want to to champion and why they decided it was kind of important that, that they were also the right people to do it yeah so i can't help coming in here and just saying that i work for undp and not the un as such uh, yeah so uh undp is uh, the united nations development program you want me to present what that is or uh, i was uh, maybe not present but maybe a good thing because because yeah, that's a good good thing could you maybe just yeah. say what is the difference between the two in yeah, kind of a short undp is a development organization in the un system and we're present in 100 more than 170 countries in the world and we're one of the leading development organizations in the un system and we work with promoting sustainable human development. And we do that by 
working with uh, poverty reduction. We work with democratic governance and elections. We work with crisis prevention and recovery related to armed conflict and climate disasters. And then we work with access to renewable uh, energies and combating uh, the negative consequences of climate change. Uh, actually, all of this is, you could say, preconditions for an effective private sector. So if you look at, and or you compare it with the UN, that's the secretariat. Uh, UNDP has a board where, where all the countries in the world sit, and the UN is, of course, also inhabited by, by um, all countries in the world, or kind of, it's a, it's a grouping of all, uh, it's a community, it's a cooperation between all countries in the world. And uh, in terms of funding, the UN uh, countries pay a, a fee uh, to be part of the UN and to, to at the Secretariat, and it holds the Security Council and ECOSOC and all these things. UNDP is an organization implementing programs within the space I just told you about in all these countries that I mentioned. And our kind of funding comes from vol voluntary contributions from governments around the world be, yeah, so that's a significant uh, difference. Gotcha. So, so maybe. Did that uh, explain it to you? Yeah, yeah no, I think that's understanding. Uh, maybe just to to say clarify my my lack of knowledge mm -hmm. is sort of let's say the MDGs and the SDG programs. Is that coming out of then the UN or the UNDP or kind of a coming out of the UN? But UNDP has played a significant role in both agendas. So you're completely right that a lot of the work that UNDP is doing and also that UN is doing and other UN organizations and the UN system are working on are centered around the sustainable development goals and previously also around the millennium development goals. So if you want, um, you know, you can look at the year 2000 as a year where you had the millennium uh, summit and uh, here world leaders met for three days and uh, they, they actually produced a document called the Millennium Declaration. And that document contained more than 60 uh, goals on development within peace and security, about development, about uh, poverty and the situation in Africa, a lot of stuff, human rights, so forth. And then uh, what happened there was that uh, two men, this is the story, right? Okay, so two men took that document, went into a room, closed the door, and formulated eight goals, measurable and time-bound. And uh, those are the Millennium Development Goals. So they are formulated to, uh, to be kind of the framework for the development of the world, uh, both globally, regionally, and nationally from 2000 until 2015. And they have been you know, designed in a way so that they, they were designed in a way so that they both catered for um, uh, having the poorest countries of the world contributing to the agenda, but also the richest countries of the world. So they, the richest, richest countries, uh, they contributed with uh, overall development assistance uh, debt relief, etc., and then seven of the goals were actually for mostly for developing countries and emerging economies to deliver on. That was on, you know, education for all, poverty reduction, and and all the you know that agenda that covers sustainability. So, 
the, the good thing about these goals were that they were time-bound and measurable, and it, they became a very, very good advocacy tool uh, for the UN and for the world, also for UNDP, uh, advocacy tool for you know speaking about development. And also a lot of good came out of that agenda because, uh, because of growth in, for example, private sector in China and India, we saw that the the that the, uh, a lot of people in the world were lifted out of poverty, um, and and that is a very positive outcome of uh, you know having a framework and and measuring jointly on on different uh, goals and targets. Gotcha. And then how let's let's say following the evolution, how did let's say I said sort of two questions here. One question mm -hmm. is is let's say because because those goals have ended. So I guess the first question is sort of what what did we find as the results or how did we do or, or whatnot? And then how did that kind of um, lead into or play into the development of the, the SDGs and kind yeah, of the, the so, next round of goals? Yeah. So they, these goals were also criticized. Uh, one of the things was that, for example, in terms of reducing CO2 emissions, they only went upwards. And other challenges embedded in this agenda were that they were criticized for not, for example, measuring on governance or on... Uh, human rights, for example. So based on the lessons learned from the Millennium Development Goals, uh, the UN and UNDP and other uh, UN system actors, uh, they sat down and uh, undertook the most comprehensive consultations ever undertaken in the UN system to involve as many actors as possible and get their inputs on what they thought were the most pressuring challenges of our time. So we spoke to, we sat down and spoke to uh, governments all over the world, NGOs, uh, academia, private sector, even uh, philanthropies. And there was also a survey carried out called The World We Want, where that actually interviewed more than 10 million people around the world, average people like you and me, on what they felt were the most pressuring challenges of uh, of our times. And uh, one interesting finding that came out of that was that there were three goals out of 20 goals that the people were interviewed about. about. Yeah. And they had to rank these goals. So uh, they, were, they were asked, which ones are the most important to you? And three goals always came out as number one, two, and three across the world, across rich countries, poor countries, uh, middle-income countries. Um, do you know, or can you guess which ones it was, or the, it, it worked? I would imagine it's, my guess would be health, uh, some form of, of poverty, economics, and then um, education would be my, my three guesses. You're so clever. <laughs> the three goals were governance, okay. and then uh, health, and then education. So okay. that is across the world, actually some of the most pertinent uh, uh, themes or areas uh, of development that you see uh, as important and where you see challenges uh, in terms of uh, your future. So of course, these are part of the sustainable development goals. And as you can, as you probably know, the governance goal that also covers uh, peace and security and, you know, uh, institutional frameworks and and legislation and stuff like that uh, that's a new um, that's a new uh, add-on to the 
Millennium Development Goals, I didn't cover that. Got you. And, and sort of, I think sort of moving forward on this within, right? So you have the 17 SDGs, but then within the 17 SDGs, there's, I'm trying to remember the exact number. It's like 300 something sub goals, yeah, right? The, yeah. So out of, of, of this consultation process came 17 goals. They are also time bound and measurable. And uh, uh, it was uh, 100, or there is still 169 uh, sub-targets and 232 indicators. And they are, of course, a formulation of what I said, the most, uh, challenge, the, the most pressuring challenges of our times. This is also where we need solutions. But what characterizes these goals compared to the previous agenda is that they are universal in their nature. Remember, I talked about that the previous goals were for rich countries and for poor countries to deliver on, but it was kind of uneven what the countries had to deliver, right? Some countries had to deliver a lot on, on uh, reducing child mortality, where other countries had to deliver ODA and debt relief. So this agenda is designed in a way that uh, it's universal. So it's for all countries to deliver on. And uh, that's because no country in the world is 100% sustainable. So also it's a more ambitious agenda. And uh, when I say that, that's referring to the fact that in the previous agenda, when you measured on progress, for example, measuring on, on uh, education for oil, then it was measuring on the enrollment rate of uh, people or kids in public school or primary school. And then if you make that uh, measurement more ambitious, you also measure on the graduation rates or how many actually then complete schooling, but you also measure on how many students do you have in the classroom? Do you have, you know, what type of materials do you have uh, for teaching? Etc. So, so it's a much more comprehensive um, measurement system or uh, uh, well, a pool of indicators used for measuring the the sustainable development goals compared to the previous agenda. Then, what is also interested about interesting about the new agenda, the sustainable development goals, is that it's an integrated uh, agenda. So, when you, for example, deliver on uh, the goal of uh, poverty reduction, then uh, you also you also have to deliver on, for example, the gender equality goal on you know ensuring that uh, women are also becoming part of the economy because you know that in that way you actually ensure that more kids get into school and and uh, get buy food for the family instead of going out drinking and things like that, <laughs> uh, or you have uh, as a men tend to do if they are the you know the holders of the economy at least in some countries in the world and then uh, for example the the climate change agenda it's also like you know if if you're not uh, ensuring that there are uh, that you combat the negative consequences of climate change you easily see that a lot of people that have been lifted out of uh, poverty can be uh, um reversed into poverty by climate disasters. So that's another thing you have to take into account when you work with the goal of, of poverty reduction. So it's an integrated uh, approach to development. One thing I, I wonder about that is, basically it sounds like you, you're, I mean, 
as you said, it's kind of the most comprehensive um, or, or let's say set of goals we've ever had. And, and I wonder, it sounds like, let's say the undertaking to actually monitor and find out all these indicators would also be a, a massive undertaking in and of itself. Because um, yes. if, if you don't sort of, let's say, if you don't get your measurements right, you essentially have a garbage in, garbage out problem. Um, and so what is going, like, what is going on to, or what is happening to, to ensure that actually, you know, getting the right, A, to, you know, how to make sure that you, you are do, getting all the measurements that you needed since based on how comprehensive this is, but then also how do you ensure that, that the measurements that you're getting are of high quality or, or, or accuracy or, or, or whatnot? I'm kind of curious because that, that seems like that would probably be one of the biggest challenges once you have these goals. Yeah, it's a very good question. And um, one of the things that's characterized uh, in the, the full volume of the 17 goals is that goal number 17, which is partnerships for the goals, uh, also contains a sub-target and indicators on developing new data so that we become able to actually measure on the progress on the goals or the regress. Uh, so that is a big challenge uh, in itself, and it's actually embedded in the agenda itself. <laughs> and then uh, there are many uh, different ways of uh, measuring uh, on the agenda. Of course, we have the 17 goals, the 169 uh, sub-targets, and then the 232 indicators. But but uh, that's that's, of course, not something that apply to all actors in society. So if you look at the goals and if you worked a lot with them uh, as I have, then you uh, you you realize that uh, 60 to 70 percent of the goals are for governments to deliver on. And the rest is for companies and other societal actors to deliver on. Uh, so that in itself just tells that you know <laughs> this is a, not a, a complete agenda. Uh, and also, if you are a company and you are to uh, to work with uh, measuring uh, impact on the sustainable development goals based on on uh, what your company do, the input and the output and so forth, then um, you have to use that. Uh, if you can't find the indicator that you set up for measuring your impact based on the what your company is doing, you have to to uh, actually decide on an indicator yourself. And then you have to go out also and find the data so that you can measure on it. And that is not necessarily always available. So that was seen from a, a, a company side. So that there's a challenge here and, and uh, what you have to use the sustainable development goals and the 232 indicators as is an inspirational framework for how to set your own uh, your own impact measurement and management framework. But when that's said, and I'll get back to that later on, uh, but but we do have some um, progress regress measurements uh, carried out by the UN and where numbers are picked from the World Bank and other you know, national statistical entities, et cetera. So we do have something called the SDG database and we do also have, and that builds on on what countries actually report in, in something called voluntary national reports. Uh, they are delivered uh, at the high level political forum every year or when, when countries actually have reporting to share uh, with the world. 
And then we do also have uh, municipalities that are reporting uh, on uh, progress and regress related to the sustainable development goals. And then the UN Secretary General uh, also publishes a report on SDG uh, progress on an annual basis. So that's another uh, document and uh, you can go to the web and, and look at, at all of this and, and retrieve data on how it's actually going with the world, seen from a world perspective and not just from the companies that I spoke about before. Good. I think that's a good leeway into to my next question, which is which is basically mm -hmm. so we're at the rough, I would say more or less the rough halfway point um, mm -hmm. of this program. Um, short version of this question is essentially how are we doing? Um, are are we, let's say, on path to be successful? Are we a bit behind the curve? Are we a bit ahead of the curve? Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious, kind of what 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 is the data you've seen so far suggest, or maybe maybe a different way of asking this as well is. I imagine maybe we're we're doing good at some things, bad at others, on track. But with you know, across seventeen things, I, I'm assuming we're not doing equally well at everything. Um, so I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, how's it looking? Yeah. So, um, just because this is a this is not where where this is a bit uh, depressing because we come out of a global pandemic. It's actually still going on in some parts of the world, right? And and then we have the war in Ukraine and and numbers that say that uh, one fourth of countries in the world are hit by conflict. So it's it's hard times. But that being said, we have in history never experienced as much progress and as such a speed on human development as we have done over the last 30 years. So uh, oh, as an overall uh, message or whatever you can say, is uh, an overall message is that change is actually possible. But then we're hit by these uh, multiple crises at the moment. So from the Sustainable Development Goals Progress Report that I also made reference to just before, uh, there are some quite uh, devastating numbers uh, that I can share. And and it is one of them is that uh, this cascading uh, crisis it has put the SDGs as ri at risk and um, it is of course also because of climate change just look at what happened in Pakistan recently and other places in the world it's because of COVID that I just uh, talked about before and it's about conflict um, conflict so the pandemic has actually wiped out more than four years of progress on poverty er eradication and it has pushed 93 million people into extreme poverty in 2020. So that's, of course, a very sad number. And also on immunization coverage, for the first time in a decade, it has dropped. And that we see also see a rise in deaths from uh, tuberculosis and malaria. And uh, more than 24 million learners from the pre-primary to university level are at risk of never returning to school. So COVID has had a, a sad uh, impact on the world and the human development, but also conflicts are destroying. So we see the largest number of violent conflicts since 1946 right now. 
And then, as I said before, one quarter of the global population now live in conflict-affected countries. One quarter, yeah. And the record of 100 million people have been forcibly displaced worldwide. And the war of Ukraine has created one of the largest refugee crises of modern time. Plus, it has caused food and fuel and fertilizer prices to skyrocket. I can continue with these kind of really sad numbers. One of them is very much related to climate catastrophe. And I'll share it with you and then I'll stop. <laughs> okay, so in order to stave off the worst impacts of, uh, of climate catastrophes, the greenhouse gas emissions must peak before 2025 and then decline by 43% by 2030 falling to net zero by 2050. And then listen where we are today. National commitments point only to a 14% increase by 2030. So we're not even close to getting there. So also we have publications like the Human Development Report coming out with quite uh, sad numbers on human development. Um, and how it's going at the moment uh, in terms of dropping. But there are some positives, as you also mentioned. So one of them is that uh, the coverage of birth by birth attendancies uh, have, have increased. And uh, uh, under five mortality rates has been reduced. Uh, so there's a little bit of progress there. There's also a little bit of progress on water and sanitation. Uh, but it's not sufficient to reach the goals set in the Sustainable Development Goals Agenda. And then higher technologies, as you probably know, we're making use of it right now for this interview. They have performed much better and also recovered faster during the pandemic. But you cannot, of course, question whether that is the way forward to solve the most pressuring global challenges of our time. So, so yes, <laughs> that was a maybe not the most um, optimistic uh, picture uh, to paint uh, where we are. But as I started out saying, change is possible and change has happened over the last 30 years. And uh, it's also extremely important that we have started measuring because that has actually given us some confidence in the fact that you can, you can uh, make the world a better place and uh, increase sustainable human development uh, in the world. I think I have, I have, let's say, two slightly related questions um, mm -hmm. before we kind of get into the, the accelerators and what you're doing there. Um, as one question is, is, is this, do, do you think that, I guess maybe kind of trying to think about the issues that, we've, that the negative numbers are showing, do you think that, let's say, the issues are, are, or let's say the, the, the crisis has showed that there was an issue in the, the in the systems and that, that there are sort of issues in the, the SDGs and how we're trying to solve these problems systemically. And just the crises um, highlighted a problem that already existed or were the crises kind of creating new problems that let's say the work that the SDGs were doing were unable to overcome. And it's sort of, let's say once we get these uh, problems, these crises under control, we'll be able to kind of get back on a good path that, that the system uh, created. 
So what we are facing now is uh, that we have multiple crises happening at the same time, and they kind of impact on each other. <laughs> that is, of course, a challenge, and uh, is becoming more and more kind of uh, uh, visible that that we need to kind of work in new ways to also then combat the, these even more complex challenges. I think Einstein put it once, saying that if you have a very complex uh, uh, problem, you most likely also have to solve it uh, with a complex solution. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but but um, but we are, and also I cannot say whether you know uh, it's completely new problems or whether you know. I, I know that the system is working uh, to actually overcome all of these challenges, but uh, what is definitely demanded is new ways of working and new ways of thinking because the agenda has become increasingly complex. But you can also see that if you look at the Millennium Development Goals and the Sustainable Development Goals, the, the framework uh, that constitute the Sustainable Development Goals is already quite complex compared to the previous agenda. So um, to combat all these challenges uh, will also be discussed at uh, SDG-related events and, and uh, in reports that are coming out over the next couple of years, or at least in 2023 and 2024, where we do have the high-level le political forum uh, uh, for sustainable development that I mentioned before, where countries report on their progress or redress, regress. And here, the theme for that event is accelerating the recovery from the coronavirus disease, COVID-19, and the full implementation of the 2030 Agenda for sustainable development at all levels. And so it is taken, you know, it is taken into account the complexity I'm, I'm talking about and you are talking about. Um, and uh, countries in the world Experts, etc., are getting together to to see how we how we can uh, how we can make better ways forward. Um, also, the UN General Assembly in December, September to December, will also um, take this into account, and a report will be shared there. On uh, it's called uh, the Global Sustainable Development Report, and it's the second one coming out. And then another summit that's worth looking at or or where this will also be um, discussed and solutions and actions will be decided on is the summit for the future. It's in 2024 and it's uh, already announced that at this summit, a pact for the future will be adopted. And that's uh, mentioned as a concise action-oriented outcome document that are to be agreed upon in advance in advance of the of this summit. So there is some kind of uh, consensus through the intergovernmental negotiations around such a summit. So there's a lot of preparations, of course, happening uh, related to that and to reach a stage where you can make a pact for the future. Because I think there is huge acknowledgement about the fact that the world is not in the in the best stage, <laughs> right? Although we still see progress. Yeah, I, I want to one last thing on, on, on this topic, I think, before we get into specifically the, the accelerators. Um, 
So I think one of the things that, at least from, from my understanding, I think that was kind of interesting, right? We, we talked a little bit about, let's say, how the, let's say the, the improvement or, or growth that was made from the MGGs to the SDGs. And I think one of the, the big things from my understanding was that I think uh, it was realized that there needed to be a bigger engagement and role of the, the private sector. Um, I think was not as much as part of the MDGs that that was really made it part of the SDGs. Uh, I, I call them for for lack of a, a better term. I'm pretty sure in 2030 there's going to be what, what I'm calling for the time being the the next DGs, whatever the the next wave of <laughs> of, of development goals yeah. are yeah. Um, that that will come about in 2030. I'm I'm assuming you know this this 15 year cycle is going to keep going and, and continue. Um, do you have a sense or, or maybe a speculation? Of, of what would be the next set of, of, let's say, improvements or things that would be tried to be integrated into the, the next stage. Um, one idea that I, I have, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it seems to me, for example, it doesn't seem like there's a really big role of, or engagement of the financial sector, the financial markets um, in, in the current SDGs, at least to my understanding of, of, of them, that, that that seems like it would probably make sense to be included. But I don't, I don't know anything that, that you would say that you could speculate or that you've noticed from from what's happened so far. So uh, first of all, I can say that we only halfway uh, towards uh, twenty thirty, and and uh, so it's a bit premature to actually uh, start speculating about the new agenda. Uh, however, I just went, uh, you know, I just said to you that, uh, for example, the summit for the future in twenty twenty four, a pact for the future will be discussed and. And I know that there have come out some, um, some you know, uh, suggestions to, but to kind of obligations that you need to take into account if you want to accelerate the, you know, the efforts made for reaching the SDGs. And they build actually on some of the already existing goals. So it's it's like again leaving no one behind. It's about protecting our planet. It's about promoting peace and preventing conflict. We all know that conflict that is just has bad impact on so many fronts. So that's something. <laughs> then it's about abide uh, by international law and ensure justice. Uh, it's about place placing women and girls at the center. I touched upon the, that a little bit before. It's about uh, improving digital cooperation. I don't know if you agree with me, but you know the the upsides of uh, digital developments throughout COVID also created a gap between the richest and the poorest because the digital highway is for the wealthy people of the world, but there is something about the, you know uh, not a hundred percent integration and and upside on equal levels for the poorest in the world. So. So uh, improving the digital cooperation in the world. And then it's also about upgrading the UN. So that's another thing. Uh, ensuring uh, sustainable financing, what you talked about, is also a very, very important area to work on. How can we actually um, ensure that more investments are channeled towards investing in uh, sustainable uh, projects and companies uh, that impact on uh, positively on the SDGs. There's so much capital out there and it's not 
channeled uh, 100%, not at all, towards uh, sustainable uh, impact. I think I want to use that as a, as a good kind of transitionary point to kind of, let's say, what you're doing now and, and, and how that started. So uh, the UNDP has these, these SDG accelerators that, let's say, as far as I know, didn't ex exist before the SDGs. It's kind of a new newish program that got created with the SDGs. Um, I'm just really curious, like, like, because I feel like this is, at least in my my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is, is kind of a really new perspective or position for the UNDP to, to really get as involved with, with technology, innovation, uh, company creation, and, and helping, um, uh, I'm trying to get, spur the development of these, these innovations. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding that they were not as involved, or, or, or at least not as, as hands-on involved in this capacity prior. Um, so I'm curious why, or maybe I'm wrong, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, that's at least my sense of it. Um, so why did they decide to start these programs? Um, yeah, if you can open up on that. Yes, so um, so just wanted to actually add another point to, to what I said before, because uh, UNDP just came out with a new strategic plan, and we do have some moonshots in that plan, and one of them is actually to ensure that we leverage uh, a lot of uh, capital towards uh, investments in the SDGs and sustainable uh, projects. Um, so it's it's actually a moonshot in our own strategic plan to work on this agenda. So, but uh, why did we why did we create the SDG accelerators? So, so uh, I can of course only speak to where I come from, but they originated. Uh, several places in the UNDP system at the same time. And we got, we learned that some years after 2015. So uh, I have a wonderful colleague working out of Bangkok and who previously worked out of Armenia. And he created the accelerators. We call them impact venture accelerators today, but he, he developed those out of Armenia and have uh, implemented throughout Asia because now he works out of Bangkok. Uh, and parallel to his work, I worked in with SDG accelerators, uh, did the first one in in uh, Denmark. And then uh, we also took the methodology and the approach to um, to Bosnia-Herzegovina, to Moldova, to uh, even to Kuwait. We also have had sector-specific uh, programs running where we worked with the maritime sector. We also worked with, with the fintech and we worked... Um, we worked with the MasterCard, we still do, uh, where we actually target not small and medium-sized enterprises, but we target the impact startups and scale-ups. So we worked with companies at all different type of maturity levels when it comes to SDGs, but also different sizes and coming from very different geographies. And what uh, we wanted to show was that companies could actually do good and profitable business um, by anchoring the sustainable develop development goals at the core of their business um, by developing new products, new services, or new business models that significantly impacted on the SDGs. And another driver for developing this was also to, you know, a need, or I saw a need, a, a need for uh, bringing uh, small and medium-sized companies into the space because around when the time of the adoption of the SDGs, which were in 
2015, where government leaders signed up, up to this agenda, and we had the outcome uh, of, of all these uh, consultations with many different actors. It was very obvious that the larger companies were already you know, investing in this agenda, but the small and medium-sized enterprises were not. And then looking at startups and scale-ups, they have already, many of them are actually from 2015 and onwards, maybe even before there has been a trend of um, creating companies that had the SDGs and the DNA of the company from the beginning. But small and medium-sized enterprises, it kind of this, this leftover group where you know it's not so sexy to work with them uh, as it is with the with the startups and scale-ups. And and they also uh, found it very difficult if you spoke with them to actually see the point in sustainability. And if they saw the point, you know, it was difficult to get started. So we wanted to cater for that also. And then uh, what we've we wanted to test was to see if we could create a structured facilitated process that actually allowed these companies to grow their business with the SDGs as strategic goals. And uh, I think we learned that that's actually possible. And uh, what we've then done is that we've, of course, ensured that in such a growth journey, uh, there is uh, impact measurement and management uh, embedded so that companies actually get to uh, to document the impact that they can that they have and also we wanted to create lighthouses so it was also at that time uh we wanted to to showcase with the good examples from the programs to other companies that this is actually doable that you can do good business and make fantastic business cases develop sustainable products services and business models that impacted significantly on the sdgs and that uh, others could uh, follow suit. Um, and today you can see that there is a, a higher momentum of companies actually engaging in this agenda and anchoring their SDGs into their business. There are of course challenges related to that, but still it's, it's a movement. We wanted to be part of, of supporting the creation of that movement of uh, companies working with sustainable development goals and, and impact of, on these goals. It, I'd say a question around that is, is let's say, mm -hmm. how much of these programs are, are split between, let's say, taking a founder, a company that, let's say, is doing really, really good things and kind of accelerating what they do compared to, let's say, a founder and company that is promising and kind of educating them or, or helping them either use the SDGs as a framework or, or with, with measurements or, you know, various skills or tools that you need to learn to, to be more oriented if they have something that has promise uh, to go down that direction? What, what's kind of the the balance or, or I don't know, is, is it really more focused on, uh, let's say, helping the the superstars that are already on board or to really uh, nurture the ones that, that show potential but might not have um, the right things they need at the moment? Um, so UNDP uh, has a pretty... Uh comprehensive due diligence process when we recruit for programs like this, if that's what you're talking about. And uh, when we when we recruit for for um, for the programs uh, that we host ourselves, 
then uh, we ensure that the companies are in the program not for kind of you know um, greenwashing purposes that's said in a very simple way but you know maybe they are more in it for you know promoting themselves uh, on sustainability than actually being in the program and trying to grow in a sustainable manner and uh, develop new revenue streams, for example, that impact on the SDGs and learn how to measure them. And it becomes, we we have uh, meetings with the companies that we enroll in our programs uh, prior to, to having them enter. And it, it always becomes quite clear if we are aligned on, on uh, the objectives. Uh, and then also there's another criteria for being enrolled in our programs, and that is uh, that you we we need the CEO level to be uh, engaged. So if CEOs are not engaged, uh, and it's more happening from the sustainability unit of an office, if if you have that, uh, many startups doesn't, then uh, you know it's difficult to move the agenda because the the founder or the CEO, they often have the strategic oversight. They have the access to resources, and they if there is a board. They also, you know, closest collect connected to the board. So all these things need to be in place and actually moving this agenda forward with the company. And uh, so that's another criteria. And, and then it's also about dedication in Moscow, because especially the smaller companies, the startups and scale-ups uh, have a lot to, to, um, to take care of and, uh, do not necessarily have a full procurement unit and a full HR unit and whatnot. So they have, you know, many hats on and it can be very difficult to, to actually uh, dedicate time to work uh, thoroughly with, uh, with impact. And, and uh, that we have seen, uh, but we've also seen companies, you know, having amazing uh, impact potential and also being able to actually take the tools, the mandatory webinars, the one-on-one -on -one sessions that we provide, take that in and uh, progress a lot. So uh, so um, it's very it's a very rewarding uh, piece of work, but it also takes take it doesn't just come by you know showcasing to a company that uh, you have to do impact measurement and management and here's a whatever you can go and, and and study you know then when companies because they're so different in the nature then they bump into challenges on how to to take uh, tools forward and then we meet with them and discuss with them how to go about it and uh, yeah and you, you you see that companies that uh, do sdg bingo is what we call it where they actually uh, put a lot of SDG icons on the web page and uh, claim that they are SDG aligned. And maybe some of, they might have minor impacts on 10 of the SDGs, but uh, apparently they, they might not be documenting that impact. And then when we work with them, they realize that it's, it's worth selecting a few and working thoroughly with them and ensuring that you can actually document the and also manage that impact in your company. And for smaller companies, it's a valuable thing to introduce early on because as you grow, uh, you know, it's you know, the, the larger you get, the harder the sustainable transformation of your company becomes. So the earlier you can actually integrate this time of thinking, 
this type of thinking in terms of impact measurement and management, the better. And we teach the companies about the different value drivers uh, because there are many reasons why it's a good thing to work strategically and to manage uh, your impact. For example, you can uh, become much better at uh, attracting uh, the most talented employees that you want on board because many of the millennials are, <laughs> are purpose-driven and uh, working with companies that do have a positive impact on the world um, is attractive. So if you want the best of the best, uh, is is a good idea to, to showcase when you recruit that uh, you actually work strategically and uh, thoroughly, holistically with the sustainable development goals. And then also in terms of attracting investors, uh, that's again something we learned throughout the programs. We uh, we work with companies that uh, there is an, a trend or an increase in uh, investors uh, asking companies to showcase how they document their impact and how they manage their impact. And if they can't showcase that documentation, they are losing out on investments. So uh, I can talk a lot about this, but uh, do you want me to continue? I mean, I think because I think there are it's... many value drivers. Uh, other ones, legislation, for example, is kicking in, uh, and and here you have, um, you know, uh, you you have uh, reporting um, demands, so that you are you are forced to actually document your impact uh, if you're a company of a certain size. So uh, that's one thing, but also you have EU, for example, banning. Uh, single-use plastics and uh, if you're a company producing plastic cups then uh, you are out of business when such a regulation uh, is enforced uh, if you haven't in innovated and come up with uh, plastic cups that are not made of plastic but some kind of uh, sustainable material for example so so um, then there's also you know uh, things about uh, uh, strengthening your value chain. Uh, so if you're a larger company and source from smaller companies and you are to document your impact uh, and uh, you need your suppliers to do that as well, then uh, smaller companies um, are very challenged if they're not uh, documenting their impact and still want to continue selling to the larger companies. And it's also... Uh, come out clear throughout COVID pandemic that uh, that uh, those companies that have the excess of energy or whatever you say to actually measure and manage impact, they are often also stronger uh, and more inclined to survive in uh, times of crisis. Um, and that's something that investors look at. Yeah. Another another reason why you, you you should actually work with sustainable development goals is also that that uh, as they are a formulation of the greatest challenges of our time, they are also a formulation of of uh, the greatest needs of our time. Then this is where we need solutions, right? And uh, that there tend to be a market for new solutions that there is a need need for, and companies are quite good at coming up with solutions. So. Uh, that's related to innovation power and agility and uh, also the ability to adopt and to to uh, um, 
develop new technologies, and that sits with the that that sits uh, a lot with the private sector, and and uh, actually a previous minister in Denmark uh, called the SDGs a fantastic export catalog for companies. So uh, I love to <laughs> to quote that, and also there was a larger Danish company uh, uh, called Novozymes, and. Uh, they they actually said that the SDGs they were the largest purchase order ever presented in the world. So so you can actually view this agenda as a as a market opportunity. Of course, those uh, markets you are to investigate and to conquer are different than the markets in the Nordics and in Riga. Uh, uh, they are they are markets uh, where the poorest people and the middle class or the lower middle class of the world live. They are uh, the people living off for up to ten US dollars a day, and uh, and they're probably not. These markets doesn't look exactly like the markets we have here, right? So you need to to be uh, have some guts and to to investigate and do new partnerships to to conquer or to venture into these new markets with solutions that have positive impact on the sustainable development goals. So I'm going to say uh, we've, we've kind of well blown through our time at, at this point, but th yeah. that's, that's okay. I want to ask one final question. Yeah. Um, let's say, imagine that you're a, a startup founder or a new, a new company, a group of founders, and you're, you're just at the very, very beginning of your journey. What would be, let's say, the first step to, to integrating these types of either ideals or policies or, or, you know, let's say you want to make this difference and you want to integrate this into what you do. What is step one? What, what is kind of the first thing that you would advise them to, to, to get them going on, on this journey? Yeah. So, um, I would actually ask the company, what is your impact vision? What, what is the problem you're trying to solve with your solution? And what vision do you have for that on impact wise? So, and then second step would be to, to uh, ask the company to see if they could formulate a theory of change on impact in their company. So for example, what is coming into your company and what is coming out of your company? And, you know, do you have, Influ you know, if you're, for example, if you're producing vaccines, so uh, that can, of course, reduce uh, mortality, right, and save lives. But maybe your vaccine uh, is not the only thing needed to create that impact. So there might be other things outside of your company on the output side that's needed to to do the impact. So, so to get a, a fully fledged picture of your uh, your company's uh, input and output and an understanding of how you're actually creating your impact the theory of change um that's important for a company to to do and to understand and then uh we also uh, or i would recommend to to choose what impact area you want to work with uh, in, in the SDG agenda, because we always recommend to start with choosing a few SDGs and not all the SDGs that you might impact on, and then be thorough and, and sure about that you actually, you know, get it right in terms of establishing, and that's 
and then the next steps establishing a baseline and then formulating indicators and finding data to measure on these indicators. Uh, so, and that's part of your, when you didn't have that in place, you can start manage your impact. So, so uh, there are some steps to take uh, and, uh, and I can recommend companies to, to follow those steps. We do have some interesting courses actually that we developed together with Coursera. Uh, sorry, it's called Coursera, but it's developed, the courses are developed together with Duke University. Uh, I can send you a link because there you can actually go in and, and uh, learn about these things. And also there are, there are impact measurement uh, specialists in the UNDP team that work dedicated with impact measurement and management. So uh, it's not just our team doing that. We have several people in UNDP doing that. And uh, also in the future, we are, um, developing something called the Impact Venture Accelerator Portal, where we want to be more thorough on tracking the impact of the companies that we work with. And uh, I can reveal here that uh, we are actually taking the accelerator approach to the next level very soon by uh, launching in, in uh, September a Green Growth and Jobs Accelerator, where we are to work with 800 small and medium-sized enterprises from Morocco, Tunisia, Jordan, and Egypt on creating green growth uh, and converting that growth into jobs for use in the region. So that's gonna, that's gonna be over in the next uh, five years and is part of something called the Danish Arab Partnership Program that the Danish government is funding. So, uh, so there's much more to come, many more uh, learnings to, to learn <laughs> and many, many more uh, wonderful impact journeys that we will uh, embark on. Perfect. Uh, Sina, I, th I think that's a wonderful place to, to stop. Thank you so much for, for being ex extremely generous with your time, kind of more so. Uh, but I think I think all this stuff is very, very important for people um, and very necessary for them to hear. Um, so again, I, I really appreciate it. I, thank you so much. Um, I think this, this was great and, and really eye-opening of, of, of you know, wh where this is going. Great, you're welcome. and. Uh... Hope to speak with you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ESI What's Next podcast. ESI is a program aimed at fostering socially responsible, environmentally sustainable student innovation through education and new venture creation. We're grateful to the European Regional Development Fund, Printify, SEB Bank, and Remy for their support. Tune in next week to find out what's next in the world of student entrepreneurship.